All right, hello. Hello and welcome. My name is Austin, uh, who's ne never met before. Um, let's meet, I don't know. Uh, come say hi. <laughs> but I'm one of the pastors here. I'm part of the team here at Waypoint. Um, and so this uh, today, um, we're wrapping up this series on Sabbath. And so we kicked off this series four weeks ago um, with a relatively simple question, and it was this. I don't know, maybe you were here for it, maybe not, but it was this question, are you tired? Are you tired? And, and it's honestly um, a bit of a rhetorical question nowadays, um, for most of us at least, because um, when we first talked about this, the answer is almost, was almost a, res a resounding yes across the board, whether, whether you're, you know, like me, got little kids at home, a two-and-a-half-year-old and an infant, or your kids are out of the house and you, well, and you actually have even, if you're blessed with grandchildren, you've got tons of kids running around. You're, we're just tired. We're in a, we live in a culture, most of us live chronically tired lives, largely because I think we've forgotten how to rest or even confused it with something else entirely. Which is why we've spent four, and now today, five weeks talking about Shabbat, which is the Hebrew word for Sabbath, which literally means to stop or to rest. Because that is the invitation of Jesus. That's the invitation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. So I want to go there with you one last time. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When we accept the invitation to come to Jesus, he doesn't just give us rest, but he also shows us, as we learn from him, how to find rest, real rest, rest for our souls. And what I mean by that, what Jesus means by that, is rest for not just like this metaphysical thing about us, it's for us. When that word in the Greek, suke, the word for soul is, is all of you, your mind, your body, and your soul. You're, it, there's, there's a saying that says you're not just a body with a soul, but you are a soul or your soul. Now I'm going to butcher it because I'm like, I didn't prepare for it. The fact of the matter is, you don't just have a body, you are a body. And that makes sense coming in, out of my head, okay? Maybe it doesn't for you. But the point is, when that word soul is used, it's not just this metaphysical thing, it's all of you. Rest for all of you. Your weariness, that ankle of yours, your mental, emotional exhaustion, that just relentless, you can't seem to find satisfaction in any, anything that you do. No hobby has satisfied it. No, no sexual pleasure has ever satisfied it. Whatever. Like Jesus says, rest for all of you. Rest. That's what he's talking about here. And he says, we can learn how to find rest. This rest that Jesus offers isn't new. It has existed since the beginning in Genesis when God rested or Sabbathed. And when God Sabbathed after creating the world, he created rest. 
He created a way of living that prioritizes rest, which is why I think God commands it later in Exodus, because resting is essential to living in relationship with God. Like we said before, it's hard to love well if you're not well rested. So if that's the case, what is your Sabbath like? What is your Sabbath like? Do you rest? Odds are, if you do Sabbath, it's most likely today, because today is Sunday. It's usually on Sunday, because typically Saturdays are usually busy, and Sundays are usually associated with church and Sabbath. And so a typical weekend for a Christian is Saturday, you, you know, you book out, you get things done, you have plans with friends, you might stay up late watching a movie or TV or go to a party, you overeat, possibly overdrink, and Sunday mornings you wake up a little groggy, and then you got to rush out the door to get to church in a hurry. That is, if you go to church, um, more and more people don't, less than once a month, or less than once a month, yeah, I believe is like the national average these days, uh, but after church, after you go and do that part of, of the checkbox that you have, maybe you go shopping. Whether it's you're going to get grocery shopping because you've got to have food for the week, or maybe you go home, you watch Netflix, or you work around your house, right? You work in the yard, get some stuff done. Maybe you get ahead on emails. Maybe you plan your week or meal prep or homework or whatever, right? And then once that's done, you probably just watch some more Netflix and go to bed feeling rested and ready for work, right? Okay, I heard a couple chuckles. Yeah, that's because what I just described, it's not a Sabbath. It's just a day off. That's what the late Pastor Eugene Peterson called a bastard Sabbath. And I don't mean to be like vulgar or judgmental whatsoever, so please don't feel any shame in these words that I'm saying. My point is here is that is just another day off, not a Sabbath. And it's probably why many of us are, in fact, not ready for work on Monday and why Sunday blues or Sunday depression is a real problem in our culture. We don't know how to rest. So how do we keep Sabbath from becoming just another day off, from becoming just another activity on the weekend? And as we've said through this entire series, there are four main ideas when it comes to Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight, and worship. So today as we wrap up the series, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, what is argu arguably the most important of all four, and that is the Sabbath is a day for worship. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later. But as I mentioned uh, earlier, Sabbath or rest has been here since creation. And so we've made an effort to uh, remember this scripture every week, same as the Matthew chapter 11. And so let's read from Genesis 2 one last time. Genesis 2, verses, uh, verses 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. And I want to notice two things, two things that God did on the Sabbath. One, he blessed the seventh day. We talked about this. About two weeks ago, that word blessed can be translated uh, as to make happy. To bless is to make happy. So the Sabbath is to be a happy day. A blessing in Genesis is a life-giving capacity to fill the earth with more life. The Sabbath is blessed. It is life-giving. 
This is why Jesus had no issue healing people on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day for life and life-giving. Secondly, God made it holy. The word holy we talked about a little bit last week, but in case you weren't here or you were just distracted by the monsoon that ensued around us, um, if you were here, you know. Uh, (laughs) um, The word for uh, holy in Hebrew is the word kadash, which simply means uncommon, special, or unique. And unfortunately, the word holy puts off some people today, puts off a lot of people. In fact, more often than not, I don't hear it used in like a positive frame of light. And so mostly because it's used when we do hear it as a form of slander, right? Like, oh yeah, they're just, they're, they're too holy. Or that whole like, yep, holier, they're just holier than thou kind of people. Right? And so it's unfortunate that we have these connotations with that word because what's going on here in Genesis, what's going on with this word is just so fascinating. It's, it's awesome what's happening here. In the ancient world, the gods were found in place and space, not of time. Meaning they were found on like either a holy mountain or like a holy temple or a holy cave. And so you would expect God to make a holy place, right? That would just people would be like, yeah, you, you go find this God in a temple or, or somewhere. But instead, in the beginning, what does God do? God makes a holy day. A holy day. Um, there's a rabbi by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel. We've, I've quoted him a couple times in this series. But in his book uh, called The Sabbath, uh, he refers to the Sabbath as an architecture in time and said, the Sabbaths are our great cathedrals. Because for this God, Yahweh, the one true creator God of the entire cosmos, the whole universe is his temple, and there is nowhere that he is not. So if you want to find this God, you don't need to climb a mountain. You don't need to travel to some shrine or temple or even go to a church. He's all around you. And I don't mean to be like, get up here and get like mystical with you or like, you know, talk about something, something that's not real. I'm simply bringing us back to the idea that you may just need to stop. Like we talked about in week one, you may just need to stop and set aside time to come awake and alive to his presence. But as far as a holy day, what does it mean exactly to make a day holy? Right? Holy literally means uncommon, special, or unique. So what does that look like? A theological definition of the word holy would be set aside for God's purposes. But because, again, we tend to think of holiness as like this this moral descriptor of things, a way of saying someone or something is good or evil, in a sense, that's true. Goodness has always been a minority position in society as a whole, right? As Jesus said, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small and narrow is the gate and, or the road that leads to life, and only few find it. The narrow way of Jesus is holy. It's uncommon goodness. But holiness isn't just a moral word. In the first five books of the Bible or the Torah, the holy In the temple, there are holy pots and holy pans, right? Pots and pans that are holy. These are utensils used in the tabernacle, right? A fork or a knife or a pot can't be be good or evil, right? Unless it 
is just really good at burning your food, then that might be like an evil pot, essentially. But for the most part, it can't be good or evil, but it can be set apart for God's special purposes. You see what I mean, the distinction there? It's not just used for normal life. Maybe some of you grew up in homes um, that had, you had like special, special plateware or silverware that was used for certain days. In our house, my mom, it's been passed down from generation to generation. She has gold-plated silverware, right? And we were just always so geeked about it as kids because it was gold. It's like, whoa, how cool is this? I don't know. Just, that just sticks out in my mind. But anyway, so maybe you had something like this. And so we only use that gold-plated silverware on, on holy days, holidays, special occasions, certain times when she would bring that out and we would use that special silverware. Right, thinking Christmas and Easter and Thanksgiving. Okay, so, so then, and then we also had another set of silverware, just our everyday silverware, just the stuff that got bent up, you know, chipped, whatever, whatever happened, lost, stuff that was just much easier, much cheaper and easier to replace. The gold-plated silverware was holy. It was set apart for my family's special purposes, not to be used for daily life. What my mom's gold-plated silverware was to our everyday silverware, the Sabbath is to the rest of the week, holy, set apart. But set apart for what exactly? What are we to set apart the Sabbath day for, that holy day? I think a better question might be perhaps for who? This is Exodus 16. I want to take us there. Isaiah 16, verse 23 through 30, I kind of paraphrase it a little bit. He, Moses, said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. Notice the phrase, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. That can be translated as set apart for the Lord or dedicated to the Lord. The Sabbath is an entire day that is set aside not just for rest or for celebration and delight, but for God. To put it another way, it's a day for worship. It's a day for worship. And uh, a lot of of us hear the, excuse me, a lot of us hear the word worship and we think of singing, right? For the most part, that's what we think. Like, I've had, I have had great conversations um, with people, with friends of mine who are like, I've been told that heaven's just going to be like worship the whole time. I'm not a huge fan of singing. So is, is that really what it's going to be? Like, I, I, I don't know about that. Let's clear the air here a little bit. Singing is just an example of worship. Singing worship is, is just one, one expression of worship. Worship is so much more. In the biblical sense, to worship <clears throat> is to orient and reorient your entire life around 
God. The first time we see the word worship in the scriptures is when Abraham is taking his son Isaac up to the mountain to worship. If you're familiar with that story, we don't do that kind of worship. Isaac, or Abraham was taking Isaac up to sacrifice his son. Worship, the idea of worship is this idea of surrendering, surrendering our life, not just our life, but the life that we care about the most, the deepest part of our hearts, which for us as parents is what? Our children. That is worship. That's the first time you see the word worship come in the scriptures. It's to orient or reorient your entire life around God. It's to lay your entire life before him in love and in trust, and in trust. That was an act of trust on Abraham's part to deepen our surrender to God's love. Yes, one way to do that is, is by singing. It's by worship, by singing. Right? Might act a fool up in here, but I don't care because I'm surrendering to Jesus. Okay? It's one of those things where it's a moment between Jesus and I. Worship is a great opportunity for that. But there are so many more ways, such as giving of our time, of our resources, our attention and our affection to God, yielding our will over to God, or in the words of worship, not, or in the words of sorry, Jesus, not my will, but yours, Father. Anything we do to center our lives around God and trust more deeply in Him is a form of worship. Air is cleared, right? Yes, Sabbath is a day to stop and rest and refill our tanks. Yes, it is absolutely a day of delight. It should be. A day to celebrate. But above all, it is to contemplate the good news that God has given his life to us in Jesus. And now it is our joy to give back our life in worship. The Sabbath is a day to worship. In a case you haven't noticed by now, uh, there is this progression when it comes to Sabbath. Right? First we stop. Then we rest. Then as our energy comes back, we begin to delight. And as we, as we delight, we, we almost can't help but burst into spontaneous worship. And by that, I don't just mean song, although if you know my two-year-old daughter, like that's what she loves to do. When she is just bursting with joy and celebration and delight, like if, she's have, if the food is hitting just right, man, the songs come out. Like she, she just goes for it. Or she just starts dancing. Or if she's just a toy she loves playing with, right? So it just happens. It just comes out of her. That's an expression. It just bursts forth. When we delight, it's easier to trust God and have gratitude and speak praise and sit in wonder and awe of the goodness of God. Ruth Haley Barton, in her chapter um, on Sabbath in her book called Sacred Rhythms, writes, I know what it's like to rest for hours until I have the energy to delight in something good or something Good food, a good book, a leisurely walk, a long-awaited conversation with someone I love. I know what it's like to feel joy and hope and peace flow back into my body and soul, though I had thought it might never come again. I know what it's like to see my home and my children through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment. I, for one, know how hard that can be. But through the Sabbath eyes of enjoyment, I know what it's like to have rest turn into delight and delight turn into gratitude and gratitude turn into worship. This is one of the many reasons that for most of you, for most of us, 
Sunday is by far the best day to Sabbath. For over a thousand years, Sabbath and Sunday were, and Sabbath and Sunday worship were just synonymous. If it was Sunday, it was Sabbath. Only recently have they been separated, but they do go together, worship and Sabbath. But tragically, Sabbath has been hijacked by the weekend. From a day of worship to a day off. And this gets to the heart of the matter. The Sabbath is holy. God made it so. So we need to keep it holy. In the Ten Commandments, we read, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. This is why the Jews keep Sabbath. They keep the Sabbath. They refer to this as sanctifying the day or setting apart the day, treating it as special and unique. We can either sanctify the Sabbath and keep it holy, or we can, in the language of the Scriptures, profane the Sabbath, meaning to devalue it, dishonor it, and treat it like just another day, just another day to do anything as we please. And ultimately, this isn't as much about a day as it is about your life. That's really the, the point we're getting at here with this idea of Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of worship by which we cultivate a spirit of worship in the, all the days of our life, not just one day, but all the days of our life. Is your life holy? Is your life set apart and dedicated to God in uncommon goodness? Or is it profane, common, following the broad path that is all around you? Followers of Jesus disagree about whether or not the Sabbath is still a binding command. But whoever is right, it's one of the Ten Commandments. And all of the commandments of Scripture, right, all of the commandments of Scripture, but especially the Ten, are put there to guard you from death and guide you into life. As Moses said of the commandments in Deuteronomy, I set before you life or death. Choose this day. Keeping the Sabbath is arguably just, arguably just as important as not lying, stealing, or killing. It is of life or death importance. And our culture is seriously killing itself through overwork, overconsumption, overactivity. We are, as Neil Postman famously said, amusing ourselves to death. Few things are as desperately needed today as the recovering Sabbath rest. The Sabbath is a means by which we enter into what Jesus called the kingdom. It is a day when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. The Sabbath is a day we remember that because of Jesus, the kingdom to come has come. It is here and it is now and it is celebrated here and now rather than anticipated tomorrow. The Sabbath looks both backwards and forwards in time. It is an aftertaste of the Garden of Eden and it is a foretaste of the new Jerusalem. On the Sabbath, we are practicing for eternity. To quote Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel again in his book called The Sabbath, he says this, unless one learns how to relish the taste of Sabbath while still in this world, unless one is initiated into the appreciation of eternal life, one will be unable to enjoy the taste of eternity in the world to come. The essence of the world to come is Sabbath eternal, and the seventh day in time is an example of eternity. And what makes the Sabbath an absolute joy isn't just time off from work or rest and delight. It is God himself. It is the Trinity and the community of the Trinity. And at the center of the universe, that loving relationship 
that radiates joy. He is what we crave deep in our being. Whether we put the name God to that desire, that deep desire, or we misdiagnose our desire for God as a desire for something else, it is God. And the, the danger of delight, as with all ideas, is that the enemy is constantly at work to try to warp good ideas from reality to parody. We can be easily confused in our, in our pleasure-seeking, hedonistic culture into confusing God-word, a God-word, a God-focused day of joy into a self-centered day of pleasure. Anyone who has ever tasted true delight as God the Creator created it to be, knows that there is a huge difference between delight and simple pleasure. Delight is meant to draw your whole being back to God. Delight is meant to draw your whole being back to God in joy and in gratitude. Whereas pleasure, on the other hand, is just trying to make your body feel good. You don't walk away from pleasure feeling profound gratitude. You just walk away wanting more and more and more pleasure. Right? You don't finish, like you don't finish binge watching season three of uh, Stranger Things and feel, or your favorite show for that matter, maybe, it's not, maybe Stranger Things isn't your thing. That's okay. But you don't binge watch a full season feel, and then feel satisfied or fulfilled or left with a sense of gratitude. <laughs> You, you just want more. You want the next season. You're left wanting more, right? Season four, hurry up, come on. I'm ready for it. Some of you are too. You're just not speaking up, it's okay. Dan Allender writes about this kind of delight and celebration that is virtually indistinguishable from worship. He says this, for six days, I wrestle with a world, and he, he writes very poetically, which is what I love about his book, um, but for six days, I wrestle with a world under the toil of the curse, soiled by the oil of humanity's commerce, deeply longing for the bright wings of the coming dawn. And each day, at best, is a repletion of the day before, unless the next day is the Sabbath. It is the queen of all days, the day in which division destitution and death are put aside to celebrate, to celebrate our union with God, the abundance of his love, and the wild hope of the coming kingdom. It is a day of holy fiction, a day when the promise of God is fulfilled on a stage where we write the script and take the roles we most want to act for his glory. In other words, the Sabbath is a day for worship. The Sabbath will also reveal what you worship. Um, I would imagine, I've got a picture for you. I would imagine that most of you are familiar with one of the, one of the guys in this uh, picture. Right? Who's the one that you recognize? Will Smith, that's right. Right? Recently made famous. Again. Um, we won't get into that. Anyway. Um, so you recognize him, but then the guy on the right in this is, um, that's actually his son. That's his oldest son, Trey. And I didn't know this. I didn't know this uh, before hearing about the story that he had um, a third son. He didn't, I didn't know. So um, that's his oldest son, Trey. 
And uh, at around 20 years old, Will introduced Trey to his faith in Jesus. Um, and Will uh, remarks how Trey just took to the Bible. And Will Smith is kind of, he's one of those guys that he's, he's professed faith in Jesus from, you know, from the news outlets and, and whatnot. Like he's one of those guys that would say, yeah, I, I, I believe in God. And uh, Will wrote about, so one day he's having dinner with his son Trey, and Will wrote about this. And I found this really interesting. Okay, and enlightening. Will writes, one evening at dinner, Trey asked me, Dad, what do you worship? And Will thought he had this answer down pat. I worship God, he said. And a simple follow-up question brought everything into question. Trey followed that up with, are you sure? Will writes, I had brushed off his question, but I couldn't stop thinking about it, he wrote. I do interviews for a living. 35 years of questions in 50-something languages, and the number one greatest question that I've ever been asked is, what do you worship? And the second greatest question is, are you sure? What do you worship? And are you sure? Notice how the question isn't, do you worship? We all worship something. This is a quote from David Foster Wallace in his famous commencement address. He said this about worship. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, and I think this really encapsulates everything that I'm getting at here with this, so lean in. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of good or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much everything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly, and when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You'll end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they're evil or sinful. It's that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into, day after day. I'm reminded of the command to remember the Sabbath and to keep the Sabbath holy. The word that comes to mind from that is intentionality. It's not something you slip into over time. You don't just start practicing Sabbath out of nowhere. It's intentional to stop, to turn off your phone. I don't know if you guys know this. You can press these two buttons right here, right? And, it turn, and there's, a, there's a slide that'll come up, and you can turn off your phone. Insane. It's intentional. It takes intentionality to stop. 
to stop long enough to rest, to rest long enough to delight, to see your children and your house with enjoyment. And from that, worship, intentionality. You will worship something. You will orient your life around something. Put your faith, hope, and love onto something. Find your identity, community, and sense of meaning and purpose in something. You will pursue it, sacrifice for it, discipline yourself for it. The question is simply, what do you worship? And if it's God, as Will Smith professed, are you sure? Your kids will know. With a very keen sense of what you pay attention to and what you make time for, our kids do. Very keen sense. Are you sure? No matter how good or noble a pursuit is, the moment we elevate a created thing to place reserved in the, into the place reserved for the creator, we immediately ruin it. And in doing so, we ruin ourselves. Because nothing can bear the weight of our worship other than the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Sabbath is a day for worship. All week long, the false gods of the world will lure us out of orbit around God into a kind of gravitational decay. Invisible, yet powerfully pulling us down. And they all promise us the same thing. Rest, a sense of joy, satisfaction, identity. This is who you are. Community, etc. And yet they all give us, all they give us is the incessant weariness and emptiness of the soul we have become complacent with. On the Sabbath, we come back to God. We come back to God and worship. Worship, again, being the sacrifice of the deepest part of our hearts in radical trust to God. Sabbath is one of the very practical ways that we can do this, and perhaps a very revealing way to begin to deepen our faith and trust and surrender to a loving God who created us to rest and find our rest in Him. The Sabbath is a day for worship. Probably been one of the less practical messages we've had. But I think it gets the point across when it comes to this idea of Sabbath. The question of what do you worship and are you sure? That'll come up in your week. That'll come up as you intentionally choose things day after day, week after week. So I encourage you Start investigating. If this is your first time here and what the national average is, welcome. You came on a doozy, I guess, maybe. I don't know. You can go back and watch all the, all the sermons on this Sabbath series. But I invite you and I would encourage you to, um, to consider this. And start small. Baby steps. Baby steps. Is that what about Bob? It's just how my brain works. Again, I'm sorry. I apologize. Start with an hour or 30 minutes. Go from there. But make time for rest. 
Can I pray with you guys? Father, today, God, we, uh, today we're, we're learning about worship, something that um, I believe, God, we were created to do, to glorify you with our lives. And so, God, as we understand just one, just one element of what it looks like to worship, this idea of Sabbath, to set aside a day, a time, to focus on you, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship, to know that you are in those things and alongside us in those things. So, God, as you're with us, strengthen us, encourage us, help us, reveal to us the things that we might be able to subtract so that way we can add you to our lives. God, help us to shift our mindset on this idea of Sabbath. Help us to not see something as, see it as something that we add to our lives. Help us to see it as something that we can say no to in our lives. Not Sabbath, but something else that is taking our time away from you. Away from enjoying the things that you put into our life. Away from, uh, taking us away from the rest for our souls that you invite us to Jesus. God, we want that rest so desperately. Help us to choose it this week. And God, as we wrestle with this question, what do we worship? May our answer be true and may it be you. And if it is you, Lord, reveal to us, make us sure, and help us to make our lives an example of that sureness. God, as we learn about a day being holy, and set apart. Help us to remember that calling for our own lives, that we are to be called holy and set apart, uncommon, unique, that our lives should resemble that. So God, meet us where we're at. Meet us in these questions. Help us to process these questions. And Holy Spirit, I pray for a spirit of love. I pray for a spirit of grace and mercy in those questions. God, that we wouldn't feel shame, but we would feel encouraged by your spirit, strengthened by your spirit to dive into these things. To ask for forgiveness where we need to, where we've put up idols in our lives. And God, I pray you crush those idols and that we can walk more fully in what it looks like to follow after you, Jesus to take your yoke upon us and rest. We praise you, Lord, for your work on the cross, for your work in our lives today and every day, and moving forward. God, we pray this time blessed you. We lift it up to you, and we lift our worship up to you. In Jesus' name, amen.